Good morning. I'd like to welcome you all to morning worship service at First Church of New Knoxville. We'd like to extend a welcome to all our guests and visitors today. And those of us that are joining on the radio, we extend a, a welcome to them as well. Just a few announcements to make note of this morning. The rose and bouquet on the altar are in honor of Jim and Bev Reinecke, who are celebrating 57 years of marriage today. Happy anniversary to Jim and Bev. Also, congratulations to Christina and Dustin Zambrogel on the birth of their daughter, Mackenzie, who arrived on Thursday, June 27th. Parents and students going on the ARC trip in July, there is a mandatory meeting today immediately following the church in the ministry, excuse me, following church in the ministry center to fill out paperwork and finalize the details. So again, that's immediately after the church service this morning. And also today is the last day for the blue jug. Donations will go to Auglaize County EMA emergency response team to help local residents with disaster aid and cleanup. And again, the blue jug is uh, located on the steps by the organ. And other announcements that are printed in the bulletin, I encourage you to take a look at those and additional uh, weekly schedules this week when you have a minute. Uh, if you're able, please stand and join in this morning's call to worship taken from Psalm 8. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You have made them a little lower than the angels, and crown them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You have put everything under their feet, all the flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the path of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. And now if you open your hymnals to hymn number one, Joyful, Joyful, We Adore Thee.
Now, if you'll take a moment to greet your neighbors while the children come forward for children's chat with Maria Lammers. Good morning. How are you guys this morning? Good. Are you awake this morning? Yes. What did you guys do last night? You watched fireworks last night? Were they really cool? Yeah. Did you like them? Did you? Why? Why did we have fireworks? To celebrate the 4th of July. Why do we celebrate the 4th of July? See, I get to ask all the why questions today instead of you guys. Why? Why do we celebrate the 4th of July? Connor, why do we celebrate the 4th of July? It's a birthday celebration. Whose birthday? No, it's not your birthday. Is it, is it our country's birthday? Yeah, it's our country's birthday. Oh, my goodness. Look what I got with me today. What is this? A flag. A flag. Ever seen one of these before? Yeah? Where do we find these at? Schools. Yeah, do you guys say the Pledge of Allegiance every morning at school? Yeah. Do we, did they sing the national anthem before the fireworks last night? And Lainey did a good job, didn't she? Yeah. What colors are on our flag? Blue, red, and white. Blue, red, and white. Now, why do you think they picked those colors? I mean, why not green, orange, and yellow? Why did they pick red, white, and blue? Any ideas? Well, I have a few thoughts. The red stands for courage. Courage. Many men and women have had to have the courage to stand up and fight for our country, to go to war for what we believe in. Okay, people in the, national, in the, in the Army, in the Navy, the Air Force, the Marines. Okay, and they have defended our country so that we can come here to church when we want to, where we want to. Okay, then we talked about white. White means purity. Do you know what that means? No? Purity is doing what is right. Okay, purity is doing what is right. We hope and pray that our country will always stand for what is right. And our last color, blue, is for justice. And when we say the Pledge of Allegiance, we say, with liberty and justice for all. That means that in our country, everybody should be treated equally and with respect. We should get along with everybody. Now, those colors can also remind us of Jesus. Did you know that? Think about red. What do you think Jesus, what do you think red and Jesus have to do? Blood. Blood, that's right. Good job. The red reminds us that Jesus' blood was shed when he died on the cross for us. And the white goes back to purity because Jesus um, washes us with um, and forgives us of our sins at baptism and throughout our lives. And the blue is God's faithfulness. In 1 John, it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and make us clean. So the next time you look at the flag, you can think, huh, red, white, and blue. That's for the United States. But red, white, and blue, that's for Jesus, too. Okay? All right. Let's say a quick prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for these children here today and their eagerness to learn and to open their hearts to you. Be with us as we continue through our summers, keeping us safe and healthy. And Lord, bless this country. Guide us, guide our leaders so that we make the right decisions. And all God's children said, Amen. All right, guys, have a great week. Killed in our service in the last week in Afghanistan, Master Sergeant Michael B. Riley, 32, born in Heilbronn, Germany. Sergeant James G. Johnston, 24, from Trumansburg, New York. Lost in our service in Arizona, Private First Class Stephen Hodges, 20, from Manaphy, California. 
and Private First Class Kevin Christman, 21, from Hazlitt, Texas. Lost in Monterey, California, Naval Air Crewman Second Class Nicholas C. Loveless, 24, from Florida. Thank you, Jay. Let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Lord, this is the day that you have made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. We thank you that we have the opportunity to gather here and and worship you as one body, lifting up one voice together as we sing your praises and lift up our prayers to you. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would help us to always keep in mind the the blessing and the, the, the privilege that we have to do just that. We're reminded this week with Independence Day coming up that uh, we truly are blessed to to have the freedom to gather and in, in the open without fear of, of persecution, without fear of, of, of retaliation, Lord. But we can gather to worship you uh, in relative safety and peace. And we thank you for that gift. Uh, we thank you for that because we recognize, Lord, that that is not the case for many of our brothers and sisters in Christ throughout the world. So this day we also keep them in mind and pray that you would be with them are those who have to gather in fear of persecution who have to gather in secret uh, who are doing so against the the wishes of not only maybe their government but their families and their friends and their communities as well lord we pray a special blessing of uh, protection uh, and and ask that you would watch over them as well as they gather to worship you this day lord always keep us in fellowship with with your, with your universal church, uh, Lord, remind us that, that though we are here in New Knoxville, uh, that there are brothers and sisters in Christ all around this country, all around this world, who gather to worship you uh, and lift up your name together. Lord, we also, with Independence Day in mind, we do uh, remember our country and our, our leaders. We ask for a special blessing of wisdom and guidance on them. Lord, I pray for for our national leaders, our president, our Congress, our Supreme Court, as well as state and local governments as well. We ask for a hunger and thirst for your righteousness, Lord. We ask for wisdom so that we may live uh, peaceful and prosperous lives, Lord, in this country, as your word calls us to to pray for. And we ask, Lord, that you would uh, just help us as the church to rise up. And be a light, Lord, of, of righteousness, of holiness, of truth, of love, of grace and mercy, Lord, in this world. May we be ambassadors for Christ in, in the place and the communities that you've placed us. Lord, we thank you for, for that. Uh, Lord, we also recognize there are many needs and uh, represented in our bulletin, represented in this room, uh, represented, Lord, to, in those that are listening in on the radio from wherever they may be. And we ask, Lord, for your spirit to be present in our lives. Lord, we know that you are with us. Your word says that you will never leave nor forsake your people. And so we thank you that, that even through the hardest moments of life, you are with us. And it's that promise that we hold on to as we face health issues or, or financial problems or other relationship issues, Lord, whatever the case may be, we know that we face them with you by our side and with your spirit to guide us. And so we ask for your will to be done uh, in each of those situations. We pray all these things in the name of Christ who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. I invite you to stand, if you're able, and sing number 29 with us. Glorify thy name.
men, you may be seated. Our offering this morning is going to support our heating system project here at the church. Uh, if you're observant coming in here today, you see that even more progress is being made as some of the equipment, the radiators and stuff are finally arriving here at the church and they've been placed around the building and it's exciting to see things happening. So uh, the offering this morning is going to go to, to help uh, go towards the, the heating system fund. Um, so uh, with that being said, I would like to invite any of the, de- the deacons that are here this morning to help with the offering to come forward at this time. Satisfied with the cottage below, a little silver and a little gold. But in that city where the ransom will shine, I want to go on that silver line. In that bright land where we'll never grow old And someday yonder we'll never more wander But walk the streets at our purest gold So often tempted, tormented and tested My pillow, my stone, and though I find here no permanent dwelling, I know he'll give me a mansion my own. I've got a mansion just over the hilltop in that bright land where we'll never and someday yonder we'll never more wander, but walk the streets that are purest gold. Don't think me poor or deserted or lonely. I'm not discouraged. I'm heaven bound. Just a pilgrim in search of a city. I want a mansion, a harp and a crown. I got a mansion just over the hilltop in that bright land where we'll never grow. Verses 13 through 18. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to there and please follow along. 
For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in that secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. You may be seated. Thank you, Adam. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for this day. We thank you, uh, Lord, that now we can take your word and open it together and see what you have in store for us today. Thank you once again for this series of tough questions, Lord, that we've been examining together uh, throughout this summer. Uh, thank you, Lord, for uh, that you are a God who is able to handle our questions and handle even our doubts, Lord. Um, all that you ask is we bring them to your uh, bring them to you, lay them down at your feet and, and, and earnestly and honestly seek the truth from you. And so that's what we do again today. We come to you and, and seek out the truth of your word and what it means for us in this day. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, before we jump into the question we have before us today, I just want to put in a, a promo, I guess, for next week. Uh, I will not be here uh, next Sunday. We will be in uh, my family's house in New York for a family reunion. So uh, Pastor Tori will be preaching again uh, next week, uh, be looking at uh, the one of the letters to the Church of Revelation uh, and in the book of Re- the book of Revelation, uh, talking about priorities and, and regaining our first love. And so uh, I know that's going to be a great message, and I encourage you all to be here and, and hear what she has to say um, as, as she tackles one of the tough questions that uh, we have in store for us this summer. So looking forward to that, and glad that we have her with us to to share that message for sure. But we still have a question here before us today, and it's one that is definitely a, a difficult one for us to tackle together. What does it mean to be pro-life? It's especially a pertinent question, I think, for me this week, uh, coming off a week when I had three funerals in four days, I was reminded of the, the brevity of life, the sacredness of life, the the joy that life really is and the fact that when life comes to an end, no matter when that is, no matter who that is, that is always a sad thing, right? That is always a tragedy. We talked about that a little bit when we looked at the story of Lazarus a few weeks ago, but it bears repeating that life is a, a precious gift from God and anything that, that brings that to an end is, is, is a sad and tragic event. Uh, whether you're uh, whether you are uh, a person who succumbs to old age peacefully in your bed or whether you are a young person who dies tragically in a car accident. Right? The, the, the end of life is always a sad and tragic thing, especially when it is someone you love and you care about. See, that's what this whole context of, of what it means to be pro-life is wrapped up in, is a, is a God's God perspective on what life is and, and what it is meant to be. I want to encourage us today as we open up God's word together, as we, as we look at from a biblical perspective what it means to be pro-life, we need to do just that. We, we need to look at it from a biblical perspective. Some of the issues that we may touch on today can be, uh, are often reserved for maybe partisan politics discussions. And I want to encourage us today to not look at things from a particular political ideology, but look at things from a biblical perspective. And I think that uh, it's important for us to, to begin and, 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 and start on the same page there, because what it means to be pro-life is, is, is far more, from a biblical perspective, is far more encompassing than we often hear about it in news reports or read about it in articles. Uh, God's perspective on life is... Is, is big and, and far more reaching than we often think about. And so as we gather around God's word today, as we talk about what it means to be pro-life, I want to begin with scripture, of course, uh, looking at Psalm 139 in this passage that is so 
maybe familiar to some of us in, in this the the description of of life here. What it means for us as as people created in God's image. Uh, what it means for us from a like a biblical theological perspective, uh, and then what we should do about it will will be at the end of the sermon. But we want to start with God word, God's word and ground our perspective in that. So. Uh, we're going to, once again, be in Psalm 139, verses 13 through 18. I encourage you to take a look there and follow along. First of all, we see that uh, from this, from a biblical perspective, all people are created by God. We see that in verses 13 to 14. For you created my inmost being. <clears throat> you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. See, God not only created Adam and Eve in the beginning, but he also continues to create us as we come into existence as well. We see this beautiful picture in Genesis chapter one, chapters 1 and 2 about uh, God uh, being very hands-on in creation, right? In Genesis 1, we get this uh, the bird's-eye perspective of creation, right? God creating the heavens and the earth, the lights, uh, the sun, the moon, the stars, earth, the land, and, and this very large view of, of creation. And in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, uh, God says, let us make mankind in our own image. And, and so in the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. And then in Genesis chapter 2, we get the more intimate perspective that, about how God formed Adam out of the dust of the earth with his own hands. He He molded him, he shaped him, and then he breathed life into him. That the dirt, the, 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 what God had used, the, the physical material was nothing until God breathed life. And, and in that moment, Adam became a living being. And in that moment, God, God created Adam in his own image. And so you see, we, God, God was intimately involved in not only the creation of the universe, but also in the creation of mankind and he continues to be so uh, to this day. Creation was not just a one-time act. It was not reserved just for the Garden of Eden. But God continues to be involved in creation to this very day. We see this from Psalm 139. We also are reminded of that in the book of Jeremiah. In the very first chapter of Jeremiah, the young prophet who was called to serve God <clears throat> In verse 4, it says, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. See, God knew Jeremiah before he formed him. God knew David before he formed him. And I believe that God knows us before we are formed as well. That's not just specific to those two individuals, but it is true for all people created in God's image. God is a giver and sustainer of life. In Acts chapter 17, when Paul is preaching in Athens, uh, he tells the, the people that, that in him we have our being. In him we, we live, we move, we breathe, we have our being. It's, it comes from God, and he is the one who gives it to us, and he is the one who sustains us. See, God is the giver and sustainer of life. And so you know what that means for us? It means that there are no illegitimate children. Now, children may be unexpected or unplanned from our perspective, but not God's. They may catch us by surprise, but they never catch God by surprise. I come from a pretty large family, not my immediate family, but my extended family is quite large. My mom is one of, te- one of 12 children. She's the 10th out of 12, and I'm her youngest, and so... Uh, speaking of family reunions, I remember being at them when I was younger and, and being very confused because we would get together for generation photos, right? And I got stuck with all the old people. I'd be like this seven, eight-year-old kid, and I'd have to get in the photos with the 20, 30-year-old people, right? Because they were my generation. I, I thought I should be with all the kids my age, but they were actually my cousin's kids, just the way that our, our generations worked out. And I remember one time, I'm actually... I counted once, I think I have 32 first cousins on my mom's side, if I remember right, and, and I'm the second youngest in my generation. I have one cousin who's younger than me, but there's a pretty significant gap, I guess you can say, between the two of us and the rest of, 
uh, rest of my family. And my cousin one time joked around and he said, uh, how did he put this? He said, he said, Joel was the, was the accident and Nicholas was the oops, right? Like this idea, like, because the generations were unplanned, we, were, we had this idea, like, we were not expected. But you know what? God knew. God knew we were expected. God had a plan. God had a purpose for us. And, and we, weren't, we weren't born out of place. We weren't born out of time. God intended for us to be born exactly when and exactly where we were. Think about a young woman who lived about 2,000 years ago named Mary. Young teenage girl engaged to be married to a carpenter's son, or carpenter, Joseph. One day she gets the news that she is going to uh, not only be pregnant, but bear the Son of God in her womb. That was unexpected from her perspective, right? That was not the plan that she had for her life. And yet it was God's plan for her to, to bear that child, to be the, the God-bearer, the mother of God. Is God's instrument to bring Jesus into this world. All of us are created by God exactly when and where and with a purpose. The purpose that God intends for us to know Him, to be made alive in Him. Ephesians 1 reminds us that God knew us before the foundations of the world. That before God created the world, He knew us and, and, and chose us to be in relationship with Him and to, to know Him according to His good purpose and His good will. See, we were created, all of us, created to know God, to love Him, to be in a relationship with Him. That's what God desires for us. No matter who we are, no matter where we were born, that's our purpose. To know Him, to love the Lord, your God, Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. That's our purpose. That's why we were created. So we were created by God, but we were also created to know God, or to be known by God, I should say. Looking back at our Psalm 139 passage, excuse me, I went to the wrong bookmark here. In verses 14 and 15, the psalmist writes, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. So God created us and we are known by him. See, the reason why God knows us so well is because he created us. He knit us together in our mother's womb. He formed us to be who we are. Like an author in his book, like an artist in his painting, God knows us intimately. Right? Have you ever sat down with someone who, who created a work of art? Have you ever sat down with someone who wrote a, maybe wrote a short story or poem or even a novel? They can tell you all about that work of art without even thinking about it. Right? They know it inside and out. They know the details of it. They can quote passages to you from certain pages. They can tell you all about what went into painting that picture because they know it intimately, because they are the one who created it. See, that's the way that God knows us. We're known by Him because He is our Creator. He is, we are, he is the potter, we are the clay. He formed us, and so He knows us better than even we know ourselves. That's why David could say, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Right after, you know, modern science, modern technology, we're still discovering amazing and wonderful things about the human body and what it is able to do and accomplish. Right? We are still learning. We are still figuring out as a, as a society uh, how this body works and the, just the intricate, amazing ways that it was knit together and created to function. But again, God knows he knew. He formed us. He made us the way we are with a purpose. And so he, in Luke 12, verse 7, it says that he knows even the number of hairs on our head. Have you ever tried to count the number of hairs on your head? For some of us, admittedly, it's, it's a little harder or a little easier than others, right? 
Remember my dad used to say he didn't care what color his hair was as long as he still had it. Um, But God knows us that well. God knows us intimately. He knows the number of hairs on our head. He knows the number of days that are ordained before one of them came to pass. Right? God knows what, who we are, and he knows what makes us tick. See, we're more than a mass of cells. We're more than an accident combination of molecules and atoms. We were created by God, known by him, and loved by him. And God knows what we need both physically and spiritually. Matthew chapter 6 on the Sermon on the Mount, God, excuse me, Jesus gives a great picture of how we should trust in God and to meet our needs. Beginning at verse 25 of Matthew chapter 6, he says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, about your body, what you wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet their heavenly Father knows Excuse me, their heavenly Father needs them, feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow and they do not labor or spin? Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run, around, run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. See, we are worth so much more than grass of the field or sparrows that fly through the air. God provides for them. God knows them. God takes care of them. How much more will He take care of us who've been created in His, in his image? How much more will He show us His love and His provision by providing for us? One of the ways that God often provides for His people is through His people, Right? God has not sent manna down from heaven for quite a few many years, right? But he has provided for his people and continues to provide for his people through his people, right? We are called as Christ followers, as the church to help those in need and provide for them. God uses us to promote life and to provide for those people physically. But God also knows what we need spiritually. He knows that Apart from Him, we are dead in our sins. Ephesians chapter 2 says that we are all by nature deserving of wrath. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. But God, by His grace, by His great love, has made us alive in Christ. Not by, not by works so that we may boast, but it is the free gift of God through grace by faith. See, that's what we need spiritually as well. And God knows not just who we are, not just how we're made, but He knows what our future holds as well. Going back to Psalm 139, verse 16, it says, Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. All the days of our lives. God knows, but we don't. You know, in my life, I've attended many funerals. I've now been, had the privilege and honor to officiate many of them. When I was younger, I, I attended funerals for two of my friends, two people that I knew through my high school. One was a eighth grade boy who was running laps in gym class who simply dropped dead there of an un, unknown, undetected heart condition. Another was a girl from my youth group who, after just receiving her license, died in a car crash. Those are not easy funerals to attend. I've also had the privilege to officiate a funeral for a 102-year-old woman here in this church. See, God knew the number of days that they had. God knows the number of days that you have, but we don't. None of us are guaranteed tomorrow. None of us are necessarily even guaranteed the next hour. You may, as sad and as morbid as this sounds, may not make it home from church today. 
But God knows the number of days of our lives, and that's why He He's made Himself known to us, so that no matter what day our day is, we will be ready as we put our trust in Him and, and have that hope of eternal life to, to not only look forward to in the future, but to inform how we live now. We don't know what the future holds, but we certainly know as Christians who holds the future. That God is sovereign, and He is good, and He is loving, and He cares for us. And that He is patient, not desiring any of us to perish, but for all of us to come to repentance and a knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ. And so we've been created by God, we've been created to be known by God, and Psalm 139 also teaches us that we've been created to be with God. Verses 17 and 18 say, How precious are to me are your thoughts, God, how vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. You know, God's glory, His majesty, especially through His works of creation, are are really too great for us to truly comprehend. Right? This goes back to the earlier comment that we've been fearfully and wonderfully made. Right? We can't truly wrap our minds around just how wonderful and intricate and detailed creation is. We see that within the, own, within the human body itself. We see that within the, the vastness of the universe. We see that in the details of molecular structures. Right? Like God is too great, too wonderful for us to comprehend. And that shouldn't drive us away from him as if, as if we, we don't understand, so therefore we must not pursue him. Instead, it should drive us to worship him. It should drive us to simply fall down on our knees and, and praise God for who he is because of all that he has done. Again, we've been made to be in a relationship with him, both now and for eternity. That is why... God created us. Last week, as we talked about the problem of evil, I mentioned that there are only four chapters in all of Scripture that, that are free from the, the stain of sin. That is Genesis 1 and 2 and Revelation 21 and 22. The rest of Scripture is about God overcoming sin in order to bring us back to Himself. But the thing that Genesis 1 and 2 have in common with Revelation 21 and 22, it's all about God's people being in relationship with God knowing Him and Him knowing us. I mean, that's what the garden was about and that's what the new heavens and the new earth will be about. God's people and God Himself dwelling with them. That's why we were created. And, and Genesis 3 through Revelation 20 is all about how God is working to bring that about for us. Specifically through His Son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. The psalmist in, in Psalm 100 puts it this way. Just a short, few short verses, I will read it for us. It says, Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is He who made us. We are His. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. And so enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him and praise His name. For the Lord is good and His love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. See, God has made us, and so therefore, uh, the proper response to that is to know Him, to be in relationship with Him, to drive us to to worship Him for who He is in all of His glorious majesty. So from these uh, six short verses, I believe, from Psalm 139, we get a picture of what God's perspective on life is all about. The question then is, what should we do about it? What does that mean for us in our context in the world we live in today? You see, if life is, is a precious gift from God, if He is the giver and sustainer of all life, and if death and anything that leads to death is, is a result of sin, then we should do everything we can to promote life in this world. In Deuteronomy chapter 30 after Moses recites the law to God's people, he gives them uh, an ultimatum of sorts. Genesis chapter 30, verses 15 through 20. He says, See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to Him, and to keep His commands, decrees, and laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. 
But if your hearts turn away and you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that they will certainly, you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you're crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live, that you may live long may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life, and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In John chapter 10, Jesus tells the crowd that is gathered there that the thief has come only to steal, to kill, and destroy. But I have come so that I may give life and give it abundantly. See, God is the God of life. God desires for us to not only live with him for eternity, but I believe also live in the world today in a way that promotes life for us and for others that we can impact. You see, the Bible has a special concern, both in the Old and the New Testament, for the powerless, those who are less fortunate than us. And that includes the widow and the fatherless. That includes the foreigner. That includes victims of sexual violence and slaves. In James chapter 1, James, the brother of Jesus, says, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself polluted from the world. See, I think this verse sums up uh, and, and, and directly contradicts this false dichotomy that we have made as Christians between evangelism, just sharing the good news, and, and the idea of social justice. Right? We, we today live in a world that we try to say it's, it's got to be either or. Right? You either care about people's souls or you care about people's bodies. But I believe Scripture testifies over and over and over again that it is not either or, it is both and. That God cares deeply about about a person's spiritual welfare and their physical welfare. You see, to care about eternal destiny only seems cruel. Why is the gospel good news if it doesn't help me now? But on the other hand, to care about social justice issues only is ultimately pointless. Right? Why is the gospel good news if it temporarily relieves suffering but leaves me in the dangers of, of eternal judgment? And so I believe what it means to be pro-life, to get back to the question that we started with today, what it means to be pro-life is to promote a better quality of life for people now and to share the good news of the gospel so that they may experience eternal life as well. We need to be concerned both for the immediate circumstances that a person finds themselves in and their eternal destiny. So that brings us to uh, some some issues that we have in our culture today that are directly related to this idea of pro-life. The first and most obvious, I believe, is what's probably been on all your minds all along is the issue of abortion. It's definitely been in the news lately with, with states in our country going in different directions in terms of legislation. States like New York passing less and less restrictive laws around abortion and states like Georgia and Alabama uh, passing more restrictive laws around abortion. And I want to I want to encourage us today again to re, I want to remind us that that what we're talking about here is not a political issue, although it, it has its political ramifications, if you will. It's a biblical issue about being pro-life. And so we as 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 Christians should support life. We should support and encourage uh, people to to avoid abortion at all possible. We should we should support those who find themselves Desiring and seeking out uh, abortion and, and trying to connect them with groups, with people that can help them through that difficult time of their lives. But being pro-life is more than just picketing abortion clinics and, and defunding Planned Parenthood. It also means providing easy access to health care for women and children, to, to provide support for mothers and children in precarious situations. That includes financial, material, spiritual, emotional. We need to care for the child after they're born just as much as we care for the child while they're still in, the mother, in their mother's womb. 
See, this is not an, it's not a clean cut issue here. This is not an easy topic to dance around because we want, again, to live in an either or world. But God says we live in a both and world. We need to care for them, care for their situation, as well as try to meet their needs spiritually and emotionally too. And so as Christians, we should stand up and we should promote life. We should discourage people from seeking out abortions and and trying to uh, make a decision that would harm themselves and harm their unborn child. And at the same time, try to support them through that decision. James, and, and later on in the book of James, he says, what good is it to say keep warm and well fed if you don't do anything about it? Right? In the same way, it does us no good as Christians to, to be anti-abortion if we're not willing to step up and, and support those who find themselves in a situation where they're seeking it out. And so we need to both promote life uh, ideologically, but also do it practically speaking and, and, and find ways to, to be the hands and feet of Christ to those who are most in need, most, those who are vulnerable. You know, and that goes for that, that this abortion issue is more than just women and children. It's, it's, a, it's a societal issue. It's, 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 it's men and women. We often forget about that half of the equation, don't we? But, but men have a responsibility as well to, to promote life, to, to, not, uh, to not abandon people in their time of need. And so men have a responsibility to step up and, and, and fulfill their role and their obligation as well. Being pro-life also means that we support adoption system and foster care. I believe there's no greater, there may be no greater demonstration of God's love than to welcome a child into your home as if it's your own. And that's what God has done for us, isn't it? We've all been adopted into God's family as sons and daughters of the King. None of us are, are God's children by, by birthright, right? All of us have been separated from God for, because of our sin. But God, through Christ, has adopted us into His family. And so uh, welcoming a child and caring for a child that is not your own is, a, is, a, is a, an emulation of that love that God has shown us. But again, being pro-life is more than just the issue of abortion. It also has to do, I believe, with the issue of immigration. How we care for those who are less fortunate than us. Those, how we care for those who are vulnerable in our society. And that includes those who are here through immigration, legal or otherwise. And again, we live in a, in a either or world, but it's possible for us to be both and. But I believe it or not, I believe it's possible to, to believe in the importance of strict immigration laws and policies. And at the same time, that the people who are here, the, the, and, and, excuse me, still treat immigrants as people created in the image of God, inherently worthy of dignity and respect. All people, no matter who they are, no matter where they were born or what they have done, are inherently worthy of that because they've been created in God's image just as we have. If we truly believe that God has created all people and He knit us together in His womb, that goes for the stranger and the foreigner among us just as much as it does for for me standing before you today. Not only is there biblical and theological support, but even in the founding documents of our own country, being July 4th week, it's it's important to remember the words of the Declaration of Independence as well. We believe this truth to be self-evident, that all men, all men are created equal and endowed by their creator certain unalienable rights. Among them are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Right? That idea is is right there in the founding documents of our country, informed from a Judeo-Christian perspective, that all men, all people are created equal and endowed by certain rights, among them being life. So we must do what we can to support life. And again, you know, your views on immigration and the policies, political policies there aside, as Christians we all must agree that people are worthy of dignity and respect, no matter who they are, no matter where they are, and worthy of being treated as such. And... Lastly, uh, the, the third issue uh, that I wanted to touch on here is, 
Maybe less of a hot-button issue now, but it certainly is worth our consideration, and that is the death penalty. I believe that if God is the giver and sustainer of all life, and He knows the number of days that are ordained for us before one of them came to pass, then it is His prerogative to choose when that ends, not ours. And so I believe that you know, we, we don't have the right to, to decide when another person's life comes to an end. No matter how heinous of a crime they've committed, no matter how guilty they have been found in a court of law, you know, we are, when we choose to end another person's life, we are, we are playing God with that person. And so I believe if we are truly pro-life, as Scripture describes it, then we must be willing to not, you know, allow, allow a person who has been found guilty of a crime to escape justice, of course, but not take their life either. I remember my mom when I was growing up would always say, a life is a life is a life is a life. Whether that's the unborn child in a womb, whether that's a, a child in a uh, abandoned in a, uh, or left in a foster care system, whether that's a, a child or a, an adult at, a, at the border in an immigration situation, or whether that's a person on death row. All life is precious. All life is a gift from God. And therefore we must treat it as such. There's so much more that we could cover today. This topic, like I said, to start with, is so much more far-reaching than maybe we, we realize at first. But I want to end with this note, and that is a note of grace. Some of the things that I've talked about today may have hit a little closer to home for you than, than others. But I want to remind you that, there is, that uh, no matter what we touched on today, whether we're talking about our views on uh, abortion our involvement in, in, in that, whether it's our views on immigration and our involvement in, in perpetuating that, right? No sin is unforgivable. See, God, has, God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for us. He gave up His life so that we may experience eternal life in Him. So no matter what, what you've done, no matter how, you know, what I've talked about today and how that may have have hit home for you. Just know this, that God is the giver and sustainer of all life. That is physical life, but it's spiritual life as well. And that you have never done anything so terrible, so wrong, so heinous, that you have been separated from God's love in Christ Jesus. In fact, Scripture says that, that there is nothing, not even death or life, that can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's in Romans chapter 8. God has already... Uh, in Christ forgiven you for whatever has been done. And we can find new life in Christ as we turn to Him and put our trust in Him. Let's pray together. Lord God, You are the giver of every good and perfect gift, and we thank You that You are, You have given us the gift of life. I thank You that in Christ You have made spiritual life, eternal life available to us as well. Lord, I pray that you would make us a people that promote life in all areas that we encounter, both physical life and our experience here in this world, but also promote the truth of your gospel and point people towards eternal life that is found only in you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and in closing sing number four, How Great Thou Art.
Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. You may go in peace.